Welcome to episode 56 of the Jungle Brothers podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joe Worthington. We've got Paul Fotofili. What's up? Tiara Ward. Hello. And our esteemed guest and JB resident anaesthetist, Arti Rajan. Welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you for being here. Um, we're going to rip straight in today. This is a bit of an impromptu podcast. Um, Sydney's currently balls deep in the COVID-19 situation. We're at a level of lockdown, but not a complete lockdown. There is a lot of... Um, a lot of misinformation, perhaps. There's mixed messages coming from government, coming from health departments, um, and a lot of people are uncertain of where they need to be right now and what they should be doing um, versus need to be doing because people are losing jobs, um, livelihoods are being threatened, all sorts of things are going on. And so it's the perfect opportunity for us to talk with someone who is on the front line, um, who's, who's, who's obviously working with this day to day. We got a bunch of questions. We're actually running this on the JB Tribe Facebook Live. Everyone wave to those on Facebook Live. Hi, team. Um, if you have questions, this is cool. You can ask them on the, put them in the comments and then we'll try and ask them to RT once we get to the end of the show. Um, yeah, let's rip in from there. RT, could you give us an introduction as to who you are and, and, and what you do in life? So, my, so I'm an anaesthetist, which is a specialist doctor. Um, I work out at two of the bigger hospitals out in Western Sydney. Um, and my primary role most of the time is putting people to sleep for an operation, waking them up and looking after their pain management. Right on. I had a brush with one of your kind about three months ago and it was <laughs> glorious. <laughs> we have the good stuff. <laughs> and you're actually Anand's sister who we've had on a previous podcast as well. I would like to correct, he's actually my brother. Brother? Not the other one. <laughs> no, no, you're his sister. <laughs> you're his sister. <laughs> Is that right? Did I say that right? She's his brother. She, oh, it's a, it's a dominance brother. thing. Oh. Yeah. My, my older sister says that she gets referred to as Joe's sister or Abe's sister, but she oh. never got, oh, you're Phoebe, <laughs> when she's around our friends. I grew up the youngest I understand, of eight, so. yes. Yeah. I had that. You got the same yeah. whole all of my life. <laughs> so I guess what what um, what's happening in your role as an as an anaesthetist? Obviously, um, things are changing. There's there's no longer elective surgery going on. What's your role right now amongst this whole thing? So our role is really changing on a day to day basis. At the moment, even though we've stopped a lot of elective operations, there are still a few operations that have to happen, like things like cancer operations and things like that. That said, we are, we've very much started to wind down the amount of operations we are doing, mainly to help try and get ready for what we think might happen when more cases of COVID-19 come to the hospital system. Okay, so you guys are anticipating a great increase in, uh, in, in hospital attendance? Unfortunately, we are. We are preparing for the worst and hoping for the best. But like all things, you need to prepare for the worst case scenarios. What, is that, what does that look like? Oh, could you bring us up to date with some numbers uh, now, today? Because I know that we had... It, when was our first... Um, our first, our, our first of case. official case was only like a couple of weeks ago, wasn't it? In Australia? Yeah, in, in New South Wales. So, like two or three weeks ago? So today, just before coming over here, I had a look at the most recent numbers. We are looking at 2,317 cases. That's today. Yep. Yeah. And That's a lot. What are, we, what are we looking at? Like foresight, what does is, what is worst case scenario look like when, when that, that peak actually starts to peak? Let's say everyone doesn't do what they're told and... I mean, we're we're all aware of uh, taking the the peak out of the out of the uh, what do they call it? Flattening the curve. Flattening the curve. Can What's I worst case scenario? Answer that in a slightly different way because yes. I think. Can I just interrupt you for one sec? You just need to speak in the mic, or maybe just bring it around so you can angle your voice into it. Sorry. You yes. Can just hold oh yeah. It. There you go. You and I powerful. also want to remind the uh, the uh, listeners, or let them know, and the Facebook live is that we are practicing. Um, social distancing here. Yes. So we're all kind of separated here. Um, yep. Fear, do not fear. Uh, sorry to interrupt. Um, T, I do, your, where could we peak? It's all going to depend on what we do now Copy is that. the answer. Um, if you guys like, I can run through some basics on 
infections, how they're spread, which will probably answer T's question quite well at the end of the day. Love you too. So we've got this thing in public health. It's called an R0, or what we call a basic reproductive number. Basically, it's a long term that says if one person has a disease, how many people will they spread it to? So this was sort of coined in the 50s as a term, and it really is applicable to societies without where this is a new disease, no one has any immunity, there are no vaccinations, which is very applicable to our current situation right now. And this whole thing is affected by not only the biology of the disease, but also how society works itself. So to sort of put this in perspective, if you've got an R0 of one, what that means is if I have a disease, I'll pass it to one person. They get it, they'll pass it to one person. It never really dies out, but it doesn't get worse. If we have an R0 of less than one, ultimately it'll die out because there'll be someone who just doesn't pass it on anymore. If we have an R0 of greater than one, means that the disease is going to spread. So to give you some examples, if we're talking something like influenza or the normal flu, we're talking 1.3 thereabouts. So... Crikey. I, and that, I, and that gets everyone around. gets that. Mm. Yeah, so one person... And again, there's a lot of society factors into this, which I'll explain. If we're talking measles back in the day before we had vaccines and things like that, the reason why vaccination was so groundbreaking for this condition, the numbers they quote are between 12 and 18. So one person will infect 12 to 18 people. Right. Fuck. <laughs> so let's go back a st and... So let's go to COVID-19. The numbers we're looking at are 2.5 to 3. That's based on sort of what we're thinking of world data, and this is the diagnosed cases that we know of. And would we, you would refer to, that would be highly contagious then? In, well, in it's, got a it's got a reasonable amount of spread. So one person's going to spread it to two or three people. So if you're... <clears throat> Sorry, just to clarify that, yes. does that mean that if... So if I have it and if I'm in a room in close contact with 10 people, that let's say three of those people are definitely going to get it, or does it mean that based on how the society operates and, like, based on our level of exposure given certain conditions, three people are going to get it? That's exactly... You got that right. It's the second of those two. It's okay. based on our so level... It's a, right. So, so it's a very real number. It's a exactly. very real indication of... Exactly. But it's al also something that we can influence. Absolutely. This is, this is why this, the whole lockdown. practice and lockdown yeah. comes into effect. So the things that affect this number, you've got almost a biological component, the duration for which something is contagious. So what we sort of know about COVID-19, it's two to 14 days. Data from Wuhan's looking like it's about six, six and a half days. The yep. contact rate. Am I, if I'm in a group of people super close versus are we spread out? Yeah. How many contacts are we going to have? And the third is how likelihood of infection between contacts. So if we do make contact, how often, how much is this going to spread? We can't really affect the duration that much. But these last two categories, the contact rate and the likelihood of infection are the things that we as a society can actually modify. And this is why these numbers become so important. So just to give you guys a bit of an example, because when we're talking about two and a half to three, uh, one person out of my contacts, you know, will infect two or three. I'll give you guys a bit of a real-time example. So just say we decide to give up everything and run our very own Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu competition right here, right now, despite all the lockdown, despite everything else. Or go to the beach. <laughs> One of the two. Or go see the sharks play. Exactly. <laughs> Sharkies. Exactly. Um, one person is infected. That one person will, I'm going to use three for the ease of numbers, will infect another three people. Those three people 
will infect nine people. The nine becomes 27. The 27 people who now all have this becomes 81. It's another three people each who they're infecting. The 81 becomes 243. Exponential growth. Absolutely. The 243 is 729 next. The next jump is 2,187 people infected. Where we are now at. Pretty much. So what's the next jump after that then? If we go with that trajectory I'm talking about, 6,561. By next week? We don't... So I'll... So they're talking about... I'll just finish this off. If you go 6,561, one more jump goes to 19,683. This is proper exponential growth we're looking at. And the current trajectory is we're doubling numbers every two to three days. And and it's, hmm. uh, what's the death rate on 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 our on the the, the quantity of people that are that are infected? So the death rate itself, as we have it, and I've got some figures from a couple of weeks ago from America, we're looking one point eight to three point four percent. So once this all kind of that 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 actually it's quite a lot of people. That are going to die. It, it, when Eventually, you're talking, we're talking globally. Yeah, when you're like talking a on a global picture, yes. Um, but here's the thing with all of this: it's not all doom and gloom, Slab. which is part of the reason we're doing the part of the reason for lockdown, hand washing, social distancing, is to try and bring that number down. So that two point five to three is very much a sex uh, is affected by society and how we behave. So if we're all hanging out nice and close at a Sharks game, then that number's going to get higher. If we all practice all of our social distancing, watch, washing hands, covering your mouth when you sneeze, when you cough, social isolation when you're not well, we can actually bring that number down and that exponential curve then flattens. And that, I think, was what you were asking me. It's like, where are we at? We're at a point where we can change this number. But it's all going to be up to everyone. To pull their weight. Yeah. So would you say when, uh, what each and every one of us can do to help flatten this curve, that they are the, 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 the big three? Absolutely. So it's going to be things like... So social distancing is partially because of the amount of spread if something happens. If we've got um, washing your hands, washing your hands is so important, like making sure your hands are clean. So Does the soap kill the virus or does it wash it off? Because I know the anti-back dries it out, you were saying? Um, Maybe tell us a bit about why we have to do these things as well as what we need to do. So what we were trying to do is either inactivate the virus. So disinfection isn't the same as sterilisation. doesn't necessarily kill the virus, but we want to inactivate viruses. Um, Part of it is that it's reduction of visible soiling and part of it is that if we keep inactivating viruses in any way we can, um, if you touch your face and your eyes, you're not going to be spreading it to yourself or anybody else. Tell me, just going back to your um, example of the jiu-jitsu competition yes. and one person spreading it and them yep. spreading it, uh, can that spread take place? Like say there's, you know, say in that example you have a group yep. of people and they're like wrestling and exchanging physical contact, yep. obviously like, you know, yep. exchanging fluids or yep. droplets or whatever. Um, shout out to all my jiu-jitsu buddies. Um, the can it spread in that exponential manner all on that same day so if i spread it to you right now because we just wrestled and then you jump in and wrestle t next you know what you're going to increase your likelihood this is what all of this so this is not a set in stone sort of number and it's different from society to society so we lived in a place where our greeting of hello is to try and choke each other and just get straight into the first choke we can think of then the odds are that r zero number is going to go up because it's all about contact rate, likelihood of infection are just as applicable to this number. Does that make so, sense? So it we does, have, yeah. So dependent on our behaviour. Exactly. So we'd have a different different R rate as, as say, Singapore or, yeah. say, uh, Wuhan. 
Yeah, it's this is what they're thinking the worldwide numbers are. We're just below Italy's, I believe. But we <laughs> exactly, but we can change just. this, and that's mm. that's why this concept makes puts all of this into a little bit of perspective. Oh, sorry to interrupt. I was thinking about this last night and I actually got on to my family in the Cook Islands and I left them a a voice message and I I think it just dawned on me about how socially interactive and tactile my family is in the islands and Paul's as well. uh, We have three generations in one house and usually they're in one room. And a lot of uh, people were sleeping in that one room and then you've got friends and family just coming over and there's a lot of contact. Hygiene is, is good enough for what you're dealing with uh, on a daily basis, but for something like this to come into a place like the Cook Islands or Fiji uh, where day-to-day culture relies on, on tactile um, interactions and hugs and all the rest of it... Um, really it scared me at the time and also because the the infrastructure that they have in their hospitals there uh, are not like what we have here so it's almost like certain places on earth have less um uh, less uh, room to 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 make mistakes they have to put these 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 um these practices into play early to prevent the spread from the beginning because once they start to get those numbers They'll be inundated a lot quicker and the hospital systems won't be able to put up with the amount of workload that's coming through. Absolutely. Just absolutely. This is... So this is why the key in and the reason the message keeps coming out the way it is. And um, it does make a big difference and it's going to be a big cultural shift even within Australia where we're so used to, you know, handshake. Even basic things Bro like hug. that. Absolutely. Bro hugs yeah. become very prevalent mm-hmm. these days. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Things Perfect. like that. How's just sip your beer. No big deal. Yeah. Oh, yeah, give us a sip. No, mate. Yeah. <laughs> um, I saw the uh, uh, some brief numbers in Indonesia where it's rife and people are collapsing on the street and there's some footage of folks writhing around, finding it hard to breathe. But they said that they had something like Forty uh, percent of their workforce that lives hand to mouth. Um, so they. What so does that t- mean? That means that if they don't work that day, they don't eat that day. Yeah. Um, so. Is that what that means? It, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So if you, yeah, you're looking at the R number. Mm. They they and trying to change behaviour. Those people can't. They won't stop because Starve they can't. Starve or eat. you get Krona. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And then they said like. Uh, yeah, I mean, that, that in itself was a big factor as, as to why they can't control it there because it's either you starve or you contract this virus. So it's really hard to control the population. And, yep. um, yeah, I worry for them. I mean, we're experiencing yeah. that here too, right? That, that people are... And we're obviously in a much better position uh, collectively in, yep. in terms of economic status, whatever. But um, there's people that are like their businesses are crumbling and so it's like... I'm fucking working. Like, I'm doing everything I can. Yeah. I don't care if I catch something. I just got to keep working to put food on the table. Yeah, and I think um, coming back to exactly that, and you see these pictures down at Bondi where everyone kind of flocked down to the beach, and there's a lot of, a lot of young people that um, probably don't feel like they're in as much danger of this virus, and it's like, okay, I'm fit and healthy. It's not that much of an issue for me. But I think there's a few things that people are overlooking if they have that kind of mindset. Could you tell us a little bit about what it means if our hospitals get inundated with... Uh, could you give us a bit of a scenario, like, with, with uh, corona patients, like what that okay. means for the individual that's not going to get sick? Okay, so there's a few things I want to qualify in this. Um, even though most... So the things we know is it's generally the at-risk groups are the older you get, but that does not mean in your 20s, you cannot wind up on a breathing machine. I think that's one thing that a lot of people don't quite realise. Yes, the overwhelming majority will be okay. And this ties back to that death rate you were talking about that isn't that high, but the real number that's more concerning is how many people wind up in hospital and how many people wind up in intensive care. The difference is the younger people tend to survive that visit, recover and go home. So that doesn't necessarily affect your death rate, 
but it changes your hospitalisation rate. So looking at the CDC data from about a fortnight ago, um, and they looked at about 20... What's the CDC? Uh, Centre for Disease Control over in the US. Okay. Um, and this, they looked at 2,400 cases at the time. Their figures were 20 to 30% across the board required hospitalisation. That doesn't mean they necessarily needed breathing tubes. They just needed something in a hospital. Mm. Of this number, 5 to 11% needed an intensive care bed, which means actual help to breathe, whether this be a breathing tube or other forms of ventilation to help your lungs out, they required that. Of that percentage, we've got that 1.8 to 3.4% who actually died. So the death rate really isn't that high, but the hospitalizations and the intensive care, the amount of people needing breathing tubes breathing machines, things like that, is actually quite a significant figure. Now, the other thing you mentioned, the 20-year-olds. So it is very true that most people are going to wind up with what's a simple flu-like illness. The thing that wa that's the biggest worry is who are they going to spread it to? Who are going to be those three people who the 20-year-old who gets it, who gets, you know, a few a little bit of fever and cough and gets better, who are that three people going to be? Because when you start looking at the over 60s age group, we're looking at 28, I think the figures I've got is 28.6 to 43.5% wind up in hospital. Those numbers jump quite sharply when we're getting to the older age group, especially if they have other illnesses like a bit of high blood pressure, a little bit of diabetes, a little bit of heart issues. And of that, they're talking 8 to 18% mm -hmm. needing breathing machines. So it's not so much the young needing to getting sick and being stuck, even though young people can. It can happen to them. It's the older population who everyone comes in contact with, which is their parents, yep. their grandparents, family. They're the people who tend to wind up having real problems out of this. So running, and, and I, I don't want to push fear and uncertainty in no. the population listening to this, but I think it's very important that people understand the urgency when we're talking about these numbers coming to the hospital and breathing apparatus and hoses. Yep. This stuff has a cap out point. Let's say things get to the, the, the point where Italy is at and... And let's say I get into a car accident, I have to go to hospital and there's no more breathing apparatus. What is the process there? Like, how do you, how do you, do, how do you choose who, who's getting what at, at that point and, and who makes that kind of decision? Is that something it's that's... extremely difficult at that stage. Um, and that is actually a point Italy is at right now. They have to look at the age and the other illnesses of the person and whether they will get off the breathing gear on what level of intervention or what we can actually provide. And it doesn't sound like many when I say we have 2,300 cases right now in Australia, but if we keep going at the same rate we're going at, I, the figures like I was saying, we're going to wind up with a lot of cases, a lot more, very, very quickly. So do they pretty much decide who gets a breathing machine or not based on who they think they can save? Pretty much. But this, if you want to put something very real to it, it's do you save your partner or your parents? Do mm. you save, you know, mm. who's looking after who? Who's going to look after the kids if something happened? I wanted to ask you as well if you know much about, um, I heard that uh, even if you are a young person and you catch it in your 20s and whatnot, um, and you get through it just fine. If uh, you can have long-lasting scarring on your lungs, etc., and your quality of life can be greatly yes. diminished for the rest of, yeah, the rest it's of your life. It's looking like the answer to that's a yes. Mm. So to put it in some perspective, if you were, you know, Jungle Brothers member, otherwise quite well and fit, and you've gone through this, 
I know you, we do a lot of work with rehab and a lot of work with injuries and things like that, but you may never get back to where you were. It's not a case of with time things get better. It's a case that if you've got some of these permanent lung injuries, you're going to struggle. You're gonna, not going to last one round with me. <laughs> no way. Regarding the, um, the, the statistics then on the, the death rate versus the hospitalisation rate, yep. I guess so, so what, what I'm picking up there and tell me if this is right is that so at the moment we only have like 2,000 odd cases um, and that means that uh, say our death rate is 3%, then that is relatively a small amount of people. Yep. But if this thing does, well, as it continues to grow exponentially... Yep. And let's say it gets to 20,000, yep. then 3% of that 20,000 is all of a sudden oh, a fuckload a of people. It's a lot of people. So is the idea then that once it hits that point where we've maxed out the capacity of the hospitals and of the medical care, does it then mean that the death rate starts to rise because simply more people are dying because they can't be treated? Is that kind of like, is that what Italy are experiencing? Is that why their death it, rate's high? So they are completely overwhelmed, Italy. So their healthcare resources, everything is overwhelmed. Um, I think that at this point, we, we still do have a window to try and curb this curve. And that's the biggest point in all of this, is that we don't have to follow Italy. Yeah, but currently our, our trajectory currently is are. on par with, with Italy. Currently we are. And that's part of the reason why I know... So many people's livelihoods have been devastated by them having to go into lockdown. I know people who've lost their businesses and who are really struggling, but this is the why behind the lockdown. This is the why behind everything shutting like it is, is that we don't want to be the next Italy. We've got, we're lucky in the sense we've got distance. It's one thing Australia does have is a lot of people, but if we're thinking 3% of a 5 million population of Sydney, you're right, it's a lot of people. What do you, um, as, a, as, a, as someone who's on the front line of this thing, how do you feel about the way that the government's managing it right now? And I suppose, could you say, the relatively relaxed sort of stance they seem to have on, on the lockdowns and whatnot? As a medical person, it would be good to see more more of it's a tough balance for the government because they have to run the country they have to try and keep things alive they need to keep an economy running but i'm talking purely from a medical perspective the more we can control that number of spread the better we are going to be in the long term because we've got to either way the way the wave has already come in we've got 2000 cases here it's it's up to us. That we know about. That we know about. That's the other big point. They, depending on which source you're looking at, they're actually estimating up to eight times more cases that wow. we don't know about. Wow. Yeah. Which makes total sense. Yeah. Because, you know, given the rate of like, exactly. the spread. And, exactly. So we're and, talking... And tests cost money and time and resources. More resources yeah. than anything else. It's, at the end of the day, we, we live in with finite resources. Is this part of the, like, so there's an interesting practical question. So say, you know, say you're a, say you're a fit, you know, middle-aged um, to, to young person and you, you start to show symptoms um, and you, you are grappling with the idea of do I not put stress on the medical system and do I just kind of wait this out and maybe it's a flu or maybe I've just got a cold and I just try and... Or do you have an obligation to go and get a test because that is what allows the data to stay as accurate as possible. So you need to have a minimum criteria to even mm. get tested. If you get flu-like symptoms, just stay at home. Yeah. Because if there's any risk, this is this. Just stay at home for the two weeks. Practice safe conditions. We don't necessarily need to test you. But if you feel like you're getting any form of these respiratory illnesses... This is where the self-quarantine, the self-policing comes in. It's not a case of, oh, do I, don't I? It doesn't necessarily... But there's a minimum criteria to get tested itself. But a lot of this is going to be a little bit more just 
basic practice that we already know about. So my understanding of the current criteria for the community to get tested is that you need to be a return traveller or have had contact with a known contact plus fever, cough, sore throat or shortness of breath. So you need both symptoms and a contact to be officially tested. Otherwise, you're, you do not meet criteria for COVID testing. Right. I thought I didn't know that that you needed to have all of those. I thought you could have the fever, the cough, the sore throat. Is that not a thing? You can, but you need to to get tested for it. Yeah. Um, you need to be either in one of those two groups, have like a contact of Is some right? description. Now, I know that that might be the official case, but there's lots of people going out there with, you know, without the contact known um, or travelling, that they have those symptoms and they're just going to hospitals. They're getting tested anyway. I know that I know a, a couple of people who, you know, through a few degrees that mm. went and got tested. Yep. One, in fact, got tested twice. Um, yep. So the testing... Name and shame, bro. Who was it? <laughs> oh, that's... Can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, firstly, the testing does have... The Rover 65. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So okay. yeah. That's yeah. someone's mum, man. Fuck. Oh, someone's grandma. Yeah. The <laughs> testing only has um, a sensitivity of about 70% thereabouts. What oh. does that mean? So what that means is that it's, it's not 100% accurate, a yes or no on that test. Uh, okay. Yeah. That's what yeah, it means. Well, uh, yeah, and that's why that individual got tested twice. But I guess all I'm saying uh, to that is that you've told me that and you've said that that's something that you've looked up. But I don't think it's that clear to the public. It's all of those factors equals go get tested. I there hasn't been any campaigns really around. I haven't seen I too many ads or nothing coming up in my Facebook feed. The reality of it, of it is, is that this is a bit of a work in progress for everybody. I actually got this, um, all this information. I put a shout out to some of my own friends in the industry and this was one of my friends who's a GP. So I wanted to get both the in-hospital perspective before chatting to you guys and the perspective of a GP who's seeing lots of people who's scared of all of these things. And that's actually what they had sent to me is what they've got at the moment in terms of testing. I see. So even and, and I and the whole process of of going to get tested, uh, that again that puts more pressure on the system because if you are sick and you're standing around a whole bunch of people that are going to get tested that aren't sick, the chances of spreading that virus even more inc increases. The person that's testing you is also getting exposure. So again, it goes back to what you're saying before. If you are feeling the symptoms, just stay if stay it's, home. It's unless you're starting to exactly unless really hurt perish. exactly. Um, because a lot of the time it's, it's all about the basics. Let's keep going back to that. It's the washing the hands, the social distancing, clean the down your surface. spread is a priority. Exactly. This is what we're trying to stem. We have a, our first uh, question from one of our listeners, and that is uh, if two parents go down with corona and they have a toddler or a baby, what is, what, what is the process there? Good is question. It, It's if you can answer that or not. At this point, is, are you talking about the process for the child itself? Yeah, are we looking at trying to get kids away or is that kid going to be okay because the, the, we haven't got an, we have a, lot, a, you know, a lot of evidence that the virus can affect the child as much as an adult? Or? So every, all the data looks like kids are actually pretty good through all of this. So kids tend to not require... They barely get hospitalised. They're their rates of death and intensive care are pretty much zero. They're, they're you know, they're the odd case. They'll always general, be on high risk anyway just because of the fact they're kids though, yeah? Not necessarily no? for this one. This one's okay. much more the, it's a bit different from the normal, from an influenza. This is a different virus altogether. Um, the kids, the kids actually tend to be pretty good through all of this. And is that to say that they don't get affected or is it uh, to say, and, and they, can, they can carry, or does it mean that they just don't catch it? Because that, that, this, that would mean that sending them to school wouldn't be a bad thing if they don't carry, but if they're, if they're spreading, we, this could be even more dangerous because you can't pick up the symptoms. So. Look, 
we don't I don't we don't quite know the answer to all of these questions. So but better it looks to be like safe than sorry. Absolutely, but we know that they get relatively milder version of this. So that would be shut down the schools, SCOMO. Basically. I mean in your opinion, do you think schools should have been shut down already? I personally do, but again it's it's different from depending on who you're speaking to, but my personal view is yes. I mean, here's the thing. Like, I was at, you know, there's, um, I was at one of the, there's a restaurant up here, Maddie, who trains with yep. us, he runs Capano, and they have been trying to do the, um, they've just, for about a week or two, they've been making takeaway meals, they'll do home delivery, but cheap, simple stuff that people can just buy and, and heat up and eat to adapt his business to suit mm. the current climate. And uh, they just shut shop yesterday because they've just not, they're not getting enough orders. So even with their innovations, it wasn't enough to sustain and they've had to close up, right? So, you know, and, and what we're doing is we're, we're in the, we've been in this process for weeks now, if not longer, of, of, okay, how do we adapt as a business to be able to suit this climate? Um, the thing is, the, the lockdown, like if they were to just shut everything and obviously completely essential services must continue, um, but... If they were to just shut that down, would we not already sort of be on that process of returning back to normal society rather than taking half measures for two, three, four, five weeks and then having to shut it all down anyway and just prolonging the shitstorm? I guess this is it, is that if we can curb curb the curve, keep it to a minimum and that way we can hopefully get back to business as usual sooner with less... Casualties. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, less issues at the end of the day. Less young people, less taxing on the resources because at the end of the day, it's like, yes, I I agree, the economic impact is huge, but we also just want to get through this in one piece first as well. Yeah, I think uh, obviously the government's got a tough uh, job trying to balance the economic fallout and then the health uh, threat that's uh, imminent. It's right here. And I think you could probably look at it as another curve uh, to what you were saying, Joe, and that is they're trying to buy time to try and figure this thing out. So you've got the curve, the spike of infections, and they're trying to get the medical system prepped and they're trying to dilute all of the pressure across a matter of months. Same thing with the economy, I think. They're trying to buy a bit of time and have biz- like businesses falling out and it's going to get to a real low. But if they can tease that out over four weeks or freaking four more days than shut everything down. I think that's kind of the headspace they're in at a, at a guess. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm. I mean, but, you know, it's, like it's two, different, two different wars happening at the same time. It's, it's, yeah, I mean, it's just tricky, right, because people have options at the moment. Like you, you, the individual has to decide, like, oh, do I, do I go to my local cafe today? Oh, fuck it, I'll just go. Or do I mm. – oh, should I employ my staff today? Yeah, get them in. They need the money. Like – Everyone, you know, my sister was talking. She's like, should I go see mum and dad? And I was like, no, I don't think you should. But then mum called her and was like, yeah, you should just come down. And I was like, no, you got to, like at some point. So if you give all of these people the opportunity to make a decision, there's there's no leadership in that. There's no control. If you just take the decision away and go, this is what's fucking happening, it just makes it a lot easier, I think, for an individual to navigate their way successfully. Right, it's like yeah. it's like when you say we can work from home. I would consider that most people in this city, uh, you know, of are of moderate enough intelligence to understand. However, when you give them the decision, they all go to Bondi Beach on their day off. Right, that's right. Right. So as soon as you say it's fucking closed, you can't come here. Or yeah. if you do what they're doing in Brazil, where they're just sandblasting people that go to the beach, people stop going to the beach. It's yeah. mad. You made the decision. It's done. And there's a, there's a strategy there and a, and a system in place where you know what is coming and how, 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 to, how to equip yourself and you move forward. But if you don't have the, those steps in place, knowing that they are coming and at any one point you're going to move on to that next step, then the other issue that pops up is that you start to come up with your own game plan. It's like having an army and the general's not giving out the right orders and there's no game plan. And then all of a sudden you've got soldiers saying, well, shit, I'm just going to take all that ammo because I'm feeling under threat. And we'll go over here with these guys and we'll do something over there. And all of a sudden, shit starts coming apart. And it almost feels like that's a little bit how things are working now in this current state of politics. 
The other thing that, that comes off the back of this is this huge amount of misinformation that's out there. Because the go I believe, I feel like the government is not releasing enough of the the true the the true statistics and the and the, the science the science that comes with it from the experts in their field people are looking elsewhere and you're getting these fucking texts going around sorry like messages on facebook <laughs> from naturopaths saying if you drink hot cups of tea with lemon in it wash your hands 20 times a day or 30 times a day all this kind of bullshit uh the um the the the, the, the um the uh, conspiracy theories about this thing being madman all of this stuff just starts to push more anxiety, more fear, and then it, wor it works towards people going to the shopping centre and clearing out all the fucking medicine or taking all the toilet paper. The communication's been really poor. How do we combat misinformation and where should people be looking to get the, the right information and the right, right, right knowledge to, to move forward confidently? In general, if it's a message shared on WhatsApp or Facebook, don't bother. <laughs> um, what I would suggest is sticking to government-based things like ABC, Coronacast, things like that. I wouldn't... A lot of commercial radio... Uh, not only radio stations, commercial television commercial stations. Commercial um, If you want the biggest doom and gloom picture out of this, you can watch that. But I don't think it's really helpful necessarily. This isn't... It's neither something that should be sneezed at nor is it something that is going to kill everybody. But it's something that we have a lot more power than people think to be able to curb. And it really is, the ball is in everybody's court. I know what you guys are saying about the government not really finally saying, yes, we're shutting these things down. But they had to say, we'll shut these things down because a thousand people didn't understand that this is how disease spreads, being... You know, sitting next to each other on 40, a forty thousand. Yep. And so we forty thousand people. Goers. Forty thousand people went down to Bondi. Fuck. And so <laughs> I bet none of them could even surf either. <laughs> That's why they're all packed on the side. My way of cook. <laughs> <laughs> but this is this is actually it. It's almost in many respects simpler than most people are trying to make this out to be. This comes down to really basic principles. Keep distance, wash your hands, don't sneeze all over people. You don't necessarily need to clean out the entire toilet paper aisle and coals and pasta. Well, it's <laughs> getting worse than that. It's like the Panadol's gone. Yeah. Asthma puffers are gone. And now I'm speaking to people that uh, uh, can't get the medicine that they need for their diabetes and stuff like that. And there's no shortage of that. People are just buying more than they need. I think the pharmacists are now limiting that. So I think they've actually taken measures to minimise people stockpiling medications and things like that. Is it true, I heard it was on the Joe Rogan podcast, he had a guy, a disease expert from University of Somewhere in the States, Michael Osterholm, I think. Um, but he was saying that something like 80% of the world's medicine comes from China. And so he was saying, uh, given the lockdown, there's actually been... and Obviously, it's, it's lifting in parts of China now. But he was saying that it's been really hard for certain countries to get access to medicine that's normally getting shipped from there. Do you know anything about that? Have we experienced any of that kind of thing? In terms of medication, that figure, I'm not 100% sure, but I know there's a lot that does come out of China. Right. So that wouldn't actually come as a huge surprise if there were shortages as a result of that because there were quite strict um, rules about what was coming out of China, especially during all of the thick of all of this. Um, there's a lot of protective equipment that also comes out of China as well that, you know, we're all struggling to get our hands on at this point as well too. Right. So for you guys working in the hospital, protective equipment is scarce? Things like masks, hand sanitizer, the basic equipment, part of the reason we've had to cancel everything so the reason of cancelling things is a bit of twofold. It's not only do you not want someone non-urgent being in a hospital when we're trying to prepare for the worst-case scenario, but also if we need this equipment and we're running out of equipment, then why are we using it on things that aren't absolutely urgent? What other what other what other steps are you uh, are getting taken in hospitals now to prepare for? 
for, for what's, what's to come. Uh, are you, do staff get upskilled in respiratory uh, response or are, we get, are, you, are you building more beds or are we just kind of sitting pretty and, and waiting for... It's not quite... Are we ready for it's it? It's not quite sitting pretty. I think they've got a few plans, plan A, plan B, plan C, which is all being enacted. So really what everybody's doing is upskilling. I think that's the right word. Wow, that's, up, that's on awesome. Ha- on how we're going to deal with these patients as they come in to try and contain the problem as much as we can from our side. Can I ask, um, as an anaesthetist, um, how, say, it turns into an Italy thing, um, how do you see your role? Like, do you change roles or is it something where I I have no idea what happens when someone's being treated? Um, Does surgery need to happen? Um, So, therefore, there'll be a lot of ops and stuff like that. Like... Will you diversify your role somehow or are you involved in a lot of the recovery? At this point, our role is a lot more at the beginning and where our technical skills are useful. So things like putting putting breathing tubes in, things like that, where Mm. we're already skilled at doing these will be where we're doing, will be where we are useful. Things like the operations, we're never going to have be able to stop having to operate on people. Because I think Tiora's earlier example of someone coming in after a car crash, we can't really not operate on them Mm. because this is going on around us. We're still going to be doing operations. There are still going to be emergencies. There's still going to be babies born. There's still going to be... That's not all bad. There's still reasons people need a hospital and people need operations that aren't necessarily going to be related to this virus. But you'll just have more, less resources, I suppose, at the time. Well, at this well, point, we're working with what we can to try patients. and... Yeah. We're, and that's just it. This is what we're preparing for, is the idea that we're going to get more sicker patients that will need more resources mm. and trying to conserve what we can for if and when this actually hits. Wow. What have we learned from countries that have that are doing things right. Is there stuff, because I mean, one advantage that we have here in Australia is that it's almost like we're, we're, we're a little bit behind a lot of the other big cities that are out there and they're moving into like that peak contamination phase. I don't know if there's a name for that, but is there, are there positive things that we've learnt from, from what some of these countries are doing that are right? I guess it's the timing of when we stop doing stuff. And this is really... Because it's like we said, we can't... The earlier the better? Exactly. So things like the distancing and things like that, it sounds so simple when I keep saying it like this. But if we don't... If you don't have contact with someone, you're not going to spread this. If you're not, you know... If you wash your hands and get rid of the bug off the surfaces, off the hands, things like that you're not really going to be spreading it to many. Um, So things like lockdown, it's the timing of things like that. It's the timing of which when we stop, you know, having sharks games or stop going to the beach or stop having our Brazilian jiu-jitsu competitions or stop all of these things. And that's really the ones who are getting on top of it have really cracked down on the one thing they can control. So... It's what we, we don't at this stage have any medic, magic medication that will get rid of it. We are not going to have a vaccine in time to be able to vaccinate against this. So really the bit we can do to prevent the spread is what they keep saying. And that's the why behind social distancing. And that's the why behind shutting down pubs and really like making life very difficult for a lot of people. I'm not going to lie. This is... I know people who've lost their business about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I it's mean, making life difficult or death really simple. I, uh, yeah. Yes, I have. Um, That's a good way to put it. Well, I mean, our business has felt uh, huge implications off the back of this, and it's obviously gyms are one of the first things to go off people's budget list. Um, there's, and and we've been, you know, in contact with all of our members, and many of them are now in financial hardship. And you can see that and quite. Uh, surreal at how quickly things can change um, 
you know, within 24 hours. It's crazy. But uh, the, the um, I guess, and it's probably something we could take up in, a, in, in our next podcast if we can get one on. But the, we got, uh, the, I understand you're on the front line, uh, but the other big social health implications that roll off the back of like a recession and, and isolation, uh, like depression and anxiety and yeah. domestic violence, homelessness, all this yeah. stuff comes off the back of this. Yes. Do you think that like taking the edge off the curve is going to have, I mean, obviously it has a, an effect on, on these things, but will shutting things down earlier get us back to where we want to be quicker or will it, will it, will it roll out longer? What we, a situation we're trying to avoid is one, so if you think of it this way, if we wind up with hospitals overwhelmed, we are in much, much, in a much worse position because suddenly people don't have access to healthcare anymore at all. If you've got people in tents on breathing machines and the hospital limits, like capacity stretched to the max, doesn't matter if that person who was living hand to mouth, they need, they crash, anything happens to them, they have no safety net. So in Australia, that homeless person who, if they got a bad cold or something, they would be in an emergency department. They would get, you know, if they got sick, they would have free healthcare. If we go on a flow on of this, you're gonna get more and more people, you overwhelm the hospital system you're not going to have any safety nets for anyone, really. And that is first and foremost, without and a doubt. And no. that's just it. If you think about the flow-on effect of having nowhere to go when you're sick. Very, very scary scenario. And that's this is part of the... At least if we can flatten these curves and we flatten it as much as possible, it would mean that, you know, we can pass through this we, with the resources we have... We don't shut essential services. And as much as it hurts to shut things like other businesses, when, when we start shutting down everything else, it's going to get a lot, lot worse. And that would be the point of trying to flatten this curve. And yes, it's... Because I, I can see the way that some people would think. It's just like, just get it done with, essentially. But if we wind up with an overwhelmed hospital system... What do you do if you actually get sick? Where, like, where do you go? If you've got no doctors left in a workforce, no nurses left in a workforce, where do you go from there? Taking to the streets. Absolutely. That's when witch doctors step into their own, isn't it? Hmm. Why you get a lot of those in, in certain places, right? <laughs> where they don't trust the medical system, yeah. but you have like someone who's like, eh, I can help you with this. Yeah. But it's true. It's fucking. It's a scary thought. It's something. It's kind of unfathomable for us, really. Yeah. I, I can't. I can't perceive of what that might be like, because I just can't understand how that could happen. Yet that's even though it's it's actually on the table. Yet that's the reality for countries around the world. But yeah. it's like, a reality for here but, if we don't do anything about but it. Yes, right? but people live here's, like that. Here's the thing, though. COVID. The yes. the horse isn't bolted. It's bolting. This is our chance. This is actually really our chance to just make this work and try and flatten this as much as possible. There are going to be people who turn up at the hospital system. But if we, we don't have to be the next Italy. I don't want us to be the next Italy. And we don't, and it's something we can change. Can I ask you a question, yep. uh, your opinion on, um, uh, say that uh, the COVID spread stopped tonight, all yep. the numbers stopped and it started going down. Um, so we're currently in a lockdown now, and this is something just to give people some perspective or maybe a little insight on how you think about it. With all the businesses that are shut down, etc. how long, and the way that you understand how these things spread, how long, if it stopped today, how long do you think it would take for us to safely be able to unlock, open the doors of our business uh, kids safely going to school, even though they're currently kind of going to school. But how long do you think that it would take? Um, and this isn't thinking about when the government says it's okay. And it's purely from a medical pers uh, perspective before it was safe to go and 
gather in tens, invite everyone to your wedding and your funeral, etc.? Look, it's hard to answer that question mm. because nowhere's actually gotten to that stage quite as yet. That's not what Donald Trump said. <laughs> Easter. Yeah, April. Oh, yeah. It's, like, it's all over by April. Do you, apparently, um, stock market went back up by like 20% last after night that. after he said that. <laughs> Just that, that, I did it. just that tiny, tiny little glimpse of hope. People are like, go. I'm buying. Look, oh, wow. <laughs> look, I'm not saying this is... There's definitely hope for all of this. Don't... I mean, this, this will pass. We'll get through this. But it's just how we're going to get through this and what we're going to do. And how long is it going to take? It's all going to... It depends because no one's actually really gotten to that point so far. Wuhan had no new cases coming out of there. I guess we could look to there as an example. But they locked down somewhat more than we did. So yep. they are completely locked down and they locked down early and hard. So if we locked down and look into Wuhan like hard, we could burn this thing out over two weeks. Given the cycle of its oh, life yeah. and stuff. Month. Um, well, two, look, two they to talk about the, theoretically, <laughs> I'm just saying theoretically. So look, they, there's variance on what they think the entire infective period of this is. Yeah. Um, they averaging sort of two to 14 days. There have been some outliers that last up to like 29 or 21, depending <sighs> on what data you're looking at. So it's really, really hard to answer that question on okay. how long it would take to but burn this At out. least that, that, that tells me that if we lock down as hard as Wuhan did, at least a month. Like uh, I'm trying to think about our we business specifically. We're not opening our doors yeah. for a month minimum. And that's the same for everyone else out there. Yeah. And that's non-essential services. Yeah. But right. this is well, but yeah. But still, go do a boot camp in the park. They say uh. these fucks. <laughs> a friend of mine in Shanghai just interest. You know, looking at the lockdown thing and thinking about like mm. the government communication and all those, all that stuff friend of mine who's in Shanghai, uh, he's, he's actually been awesome. He's been posting little updates because uh, I think he's from uh, – where is he from? I think he's from the States and he lives there. And he's like he's – like, he's got to share how amazing the Chinese government's response has been to this and he's sharing it with all of his Western counterparts. But they had like – within like a day of lockdown, they had an app where you could get, you could get a live update on cases in your area – you, get, um, you could press a button and they would deliver within like 30 minutes face masks and sanitizer to your home. You could report symptoms. You could order tests. Like, and it was all on this super user-friendly app that he was showing me. And he's like, this has been rolled out within like 12 hours of this fucking thing going on. Amazing. And you're like, Jesus Christ. And we're like, we're like Googling to try and find which website has the best information. I got and a, you're reading the PM's fucking address. <laughs> you know what I mean? I got a text from Telstra today. Yeah. This is like, I don't know, we all got fucking that. weeks got coming that. in. And it said, stay 1.5. I felt like texting back saying, fuck <laughs> off. Don't <laughs> contact me right now. <laughs> it was ridiculous. Like, all like with, their, with their health advice? Yeah, all the stuff that should have been rolled out months ago, really. <laughs> it was really. just because someone, a journalist asked him that question last night in the conference after the... That was our health minister? Uh, no, someone just asked him if they're looking Scamo. into yeah, Scamo into into <laughs> text messaging as a form of communication to get the word. And he was like, oh, yeah, 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 we're onto that. And so I think next thing you know, we got a text message the next that down day. Write that on his pad real quick. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, that. that's good. Thank you. Action. <laughs> <laughs> Same that way. It really pissed me off, actually, reading that text. It really pissed me off. I just thought it was so underwhelming and late and had literally no... no punch behind out of the like this is yep. not good and coming from a fucking telecommunications company yes yeah. right like yes you know it's not they're, even not, a governor, they're not the people that should be telling you really what you need to do yeah. uh, going back to what i asked you before um yep. just about the trying to i'm trying to uh, ask you about when like how long the the cycle would take etc to put in a bit of perspective obviously our gym's shut now for our members who are listening and there's people listening who have jobs everywhere um, knowing that information kind of can bring things home for people and for me too. And I guess I'm, I'm, I wanted to see, like, it's a minimum that things are going to be like this. And the reality is for lots of people that life is changing. And I, I guess it's a little bit of an insight to, like, how everyone sh sh needs to start thinking about how they're going to go forward over a long term 
kind yeah. of over a long period? I, I think you're looking longer than just weeks. Knuckle I think down. would be the yeah. easiest, best answer I can give you because it's a, it's a really tough question to answer because we don't know how this is going to go yet. We've not, we've not really seen the massive upsurge yet in the hospital system. No. So if the best case scenario is four weeks and we're nowhere near the best case scenario... No. I um, think then it's a long time. I think we're looking at a much longer than just four weeks. Yeah, it's a f- I think fantasy. Yeah, I think realistically, we're yep. looking we're looking at much longer than that because if we, and I think, look, I want to give at least a bit of balance to all of this because I I know that everywhere you look, it's either this horrible doom and gloom, or this like nothing's going to happen and it really is somewhere in between just because of the numbers because it's all to do with the numbers. I mean, most people are going to be... There's going to be a lot of people who wind up getting this, possibly, and there's going to be a lot of people who are going to be okay, who are going to wind up with what's like almost a flu-like illness and going to be okay. But if a lot of people um, get this, then, you know... 10% of hospitalised 20-year-olds is uh, quite a lot. If we're talking, you know, sorry, 15% of symptomatic 20-year-olds wind up in a hospital who are tested positive, these numbers are big. Thousands. Exactly. We're talking really big numbers if you're talking a big number of people. How many beds do we have, like, per hospital and, like, nationally ill? So I... Did look this up earlier today, and I, and this is off Google more than any of the other sites. Um, across Australia, what they tell me is 2,229 2, intensive care beds. So these are beds with the capacity to be able to put a breathing machine on it. If you're talking, and the the US data, so this is, the, this is quite recent, this is about two weeks ago from the, the States, if we're talking 5 to 10% thereabouts are going to require some form of breathing machine or gear, we've got, you know, 800 and the number I got off Google was 874 intensive care beds in New South Wales. I'm not sure if this is the exact number currently or not. It doesn't take very long to fill those beds. <laughs> and that's, that's wherein the problem lies. And it's not really for each of us who were, you know, on the younger end of this spectrum who probably will get through this just fine. It's what we're doing by doing all of this is protecting the next generation. Protecting the generation before us, protecting our parents, our grandparents. And you know what? Sometimes it's protecting your spouse, your loved ones and things like that because there is still going to be that small number who even in their 20s wind up in problems. To, um, to sort of, uh, to close that, to close this up, what do you, you know, and, and obviously you've mentioned it a lot and we've spoken about it, but could we just sum up again what the, the best practical measures are that people can take right now? Okay. So social distancing, that is just try and stick away from people if you can. If you are going to people, they're talking 1.5 to 2 metres gap between people. Stay home. But, Stay does it, home. but does it also refer to isolating yourself? Yes. Like, is that a part of social distancing? So isolating don't yourself, if, especially if you're sick, don't go out. Um, wash your hands. Don't sneeze all over people. It's really, it's the basic stuff they tell you to do when you've got a cold. Yeah. It is the absolute basics. Only the basics are important. And I think that's the bit that, that really hasn't been that well, well explained is that this is why the basics are important. This is what we're trying to prevent. So just another note is that this virus can live in the air for quite a while. This virus lives on surfaces for quite a while. So when we're talking hand washing, one of the studies said for up to three days, this virus can live on metal or plastic. Wow. So wash your hands, basically. This is why the wash your hands so many times keeps coming out. For 25 seconds. (laughs) 
Yeah. That's right, right? Like yeah. if you just do it for yeah. 10 seconds, it doesn't have the same effect. Or using the hand sanitizer, which I think is also universally out of stock, but there's a few chemists who are coming back making making more of this now. So it's starting to reappear, hand sanitizers, things Me- like that. Methylated spirits yep. has been our go-to Absolutely. With a little bit of water. Absolutely. So basically what you're looking for is roughly an over 70% alcohol content. Okay. <laughs> Nice. So washing of the hands, social distancing, um, that's essentially it. Yeah. Good hygiene and just not being around people. Exactly. Stay just home. So keep it all simple. <laughs> keep it all really simple because yep. there is a bit of a reality. We can head down two pathways. We can curb this off and we've got a chance to curb this off. We can curb it off now by being strict and, you know, it's going to not be a lot of fun not going to the pub, not catching up with friends, not doing the things we are used to. And, but if we don't stop now, if we look at where Italy's at, it is a scary, scary place right now. I much prefer to be like Wuhan. If we, yeah. if we can lock this down, we've got a chance of going back to opening things up, got a chance of doing all these things. The more overwhelmed the whole system gets, the longer all of this is going to take because we, we're going to spend so much time and resource trying to get everyone back in the community that we're going to wind up in a far worse position at the end of the day. So keep it simple, keep the social distancing and let's hopefully stem this as fast as we can. We have a, a number of medical staff that train in our gym, like quite a few. We've got nurses, we've got doctors. Um, we, I, if you are going for a tough time out there and you're struggling, just have a think about these people on the front line and what they're about to embark on and the hours they're going to be doing, the tough decisions they're going to be, to be making and just... Just be thankful that we've got them on the front line, Arthur. I'm very, very thankful that you guys are out there doing what you're doing. It brings, um, it brings a great, great confidence to me and, uh, and my family and, you know, all the oldies out there. So well done. Yeah. Seconded by Thanks myself guys. and Paul, obviously. Very appreciative to have people like yourself out there doing the work and, and, and spreading the message and trying to keep us all healthy. Thanks, guys. Pleasure. Guys, thanks for listening. Um, oh, fuck, there's a lot to say off the back of that. Let me keep it brief. But if you, if you need any help, if you're struggling through this uh, mentally, physically, whatever, get in touch with us because we are supporting all of our members from the gym uh, through all of the means that are currently available to us. But we are actually connecting with people outside of that as well who are looking for solutions to just managing their headspace managing their, their training over this time, keeping their body moving. And uh, we have um, big, robust plans in place mm-hmm. to be increasing our infrastructure out there so that we can help more and more people. So do get in touch yeah. um, at Jungle Brothers Movement on Instagram or hit us up on Facebook, RT. One, one final thing I should have said with the rest of it is try and keep healthy amongst all of this. So things like walking with social distancing is still fine at the moment. We just want to try and not go in as a group together doing these things. So it doesn't mean we stop exercising. It doesn't mean we stop eating right. It doesn't mean basic measures we don't take. This is just going back to the absolute basics. <laughs> Spot on. Yep. Yep. Maintaining personal health over this time is paramount. Agreed. Guys, thanks for tuning in. Thank you, Facebook Live fam. Sorry the battery cut out halfway. Arty, you're an absolute legend. Thank you. Thank you so much. Good luck to you, friend. Thank you. Thanks, guys.